Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dope Shit My Therapist Says, a therapeutic wellness podcast hosted by Ryan Gaddy and Lauren Fractor. We are two millennial therapists who enjoy having authentic conversations with real people who share their experiences and passions with a mental health twist. Conversations that inspire discovery of self, insight into deeper spirituality, and alternative ways to support mental health and wellness. As a reminder, this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only. All topics discussed on the podcast are from the viewpoint of our guests and their personal experiences. Information shared on the podcast is not a replacement for therapy, therapeutic advice, or medical treatment. Welcome back to our second part of our episode with Matthias Barker, where we are talking all about trauma, family mental health, and how that impacts us. We're really glad to have you back to listen to the other half of this episode, and we think you're really going to like this part. So don't forget to follow Matthias on Instagram at Matthias J. Barker, and don't forget to follow us at Dope SHT Therapy Pod. Don't forget to leave us a review. Let us know what you think, because we really think you're going to like this one. All right. See you on the other side. I feel like this is like the perfect segue into our core topic, which is, you know, our, our family and their mental health, their trauma and how it impacts us now as, as their children, whether you're, most of our listeners are around the same age, all millennials and such. So here we are in our thirties and we're all messed up. So let's talk a little bit about that and how does family trauma impact our mental health? It's a broad question. <laughs> I would say that the first thing that comes to mind is, is like you brought up just millennials and, and kind of like a lot of us, like in our thirties, just trying to think through things. Like, so I'm 30 years old right now. So just, and then I have um, a daughter who's one years old, uh, 15 months. And, and then I'm, my wife is having our second child in like two or week, two, three weeks. So um, yeah, she's due here soon. So we're excited for um, having a little boy and yeah. So two kids, um, here. And I think that just causes a lot of reflection on family and family values. And so I think that there's something about um, the millennial generation thinking through this with, with a fresh lens that of course is stirring lots of conversation and all us millennials, we're all on social media and have podcasts. And so we, we all uh, want to talk about it and it's good. It's, it's, it's thinking through what values do I want to bring from the way I was raised and which ones do I need to repackage with some modifications and which ones do I need to leave behind? And that's, I think the very act of being human, you know, and I don't think there's anyone who, who visits this planet that doesn't have to go through that process of deciding what I bring, even people with really positive relationships with their parents, that people whose parents are their heroes, that the reality just is that the environment is always changing. The culture is always changing. The, the applicability of certain life skills and ways of viewing the world is always being updated. And so Um, All of us on one level or another have to take the insights from our parents and modify them and apply them in new ways. And some things are going to be relevant for the tasks of the next generation. And some of them need to be left behind because the environment changed. And, and then there's just tools and insights that were just flat wrong for any environment. (laughs) It just, you know, you just got that one wrong. You, uh, that was wrong back then and it was wrong now. And, and, uh, and that needs modification. And so, yeah, it's, it's the, okay. Yeah. What are the, what's the impact? of family on the psyche is like the question of what it means to be a human being. I think that's just such a wonderful, scary, broad, infinite question. As you're talking, I'm thinking about, you know, like, like you're saying you're a father now and you're having to look at what your family did and what you want to keep and what you want to toss out. And, you know, I think as 
as I've looked at my own family stuff, a lot of it is really what Lauren brought up earlier too, is that self-awareness of, yeah. I think we all do that process of like, well, what, what kind of parent do I want to be? But then it's also deeply rooted still that some of that stuff still sneaks in somehow. And, you know, how can we choose or do the work so that those things that we don't want to sneak in can stay on the outside and stay in the past, or, you know, Mm. we have a different relationship with how they impacted us. Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. The first thing I I think of this to an internal family systems lens An internal family systems is a, is a modality of trauma therapy that I'm currently being trained in. So I, I don't want to position myself as the spokesperson for IFS. I, I'm, I'm not a trainer, but so take that with a grain of salt as I wander around this question. Um, but I think through an IFS lens, we conceptualize that as you have a part of you that has rose, risen to the occasion to protect you in the face of an overwhelming emotion. And let's say you know, to give an example, like that's alcohol. When I feel really overwhelmed, when I feel embarrassed, when I feel shameful, when I feel bad about myself, um, alcohol is quick to fix that. Puts me in a good mood, makes me social. It gives me a little bit of uh, liquid confidence and I can, <laughs> I can manage, you know, on a, on a good buzz, you know, to, to, to be okay at a social event or at a party or even at home just by myself. I just feel generally better. So you could think, okay, a part of me rose to the occasion and said, hey, alcohol, that's a great fix for a lot of the problems we seem to be facing that we haven't really figured out a better solution for yet. So let's just, let's just have like a good 12 pack in the, in the fridge at all times. And so that's, that's a protection though, because there's overwhelming emotions that the, the complexities of social interaction, the complexities of depression or overwhelming emotion, you're using the alcohol to solve something, maybe several somethings. And, and so then if that system isn't updated, if we don't, build a relationship with that protective part and then actually take on the role of dealing with those emotional wounds forthrightly instead of leaning into something like a substance, then then our children just are going to develop in a world where the way we protect those emotions is by disassociating and leaning on something like a substance or an external vice in order to soothe. So we grow up and maybe we resent the alcohol of, of our you know mother or father. Maybe we resent that they were alcoholics but we have our own vices that we run to to soothe even something seemingly innocuous like a phone like tiktok or like um something i need to run to externally that will soothe complex emotions that i don't know how to organize or integrate and so you know there's there's these routines that we learn from mom and dad that we're not even fully conscious of all the time sometimes it's just a lot like I'll laugh or smile like my dad does, even when I'm not thinking about it, just the, the same kind of belly laugh. It's like neurodevelopmentally, we absorb the different coping mechanisms and the strategies and, and even form similar parts structures, you know, in IFS terms as, as our parents do. So, I mean, an IFS was formed, Richard Schwartz was a family systems therapist. And so that's, that's heavily influenced in the trauma work that he does is, you know, as you guys are talking marriage and family systems therapists, it's, it, there's, there's a lot of overlap there. Um, yeah, it's, it's coming into contact with the protective parts and then earning their trust so that we can take on the responsibility of soothing the things that they're trying to fix, um, that we become more actualized in, in the 
um, wording of Abraham, um, Maslow, we become more actualized, we become more ascended, whatever. And, you know, we become more integrated, maybe in the thought pattern of Jung. Um, it's through moving towards that more directly. That was, that was very much Jung's idea that I think a lot of the parts theorists kind of gleaned was, he's like, there's something in your shadow that you need to approach. And then you actually need to integrate the thing that you hate, the thing that is actually something problematic. Maybe you should take a second look at that and, and stop thinking about it like a disease that you need to cut off and start thinking about it like a part of you that you need to integrate. That was really, you know, I think Jung's idea, at least in infancy, that's expanded in lots of different ways since then. But that, that's a that's a tangent on some psychobabble thing that, that we dive into another day. Anyway, yeah, that, that, those are some thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how much we do pick up from our parents and for those that are not close with their family, how much they reject it mm-hmm. and yet they fight it and it still peeks through. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, like, as you were talking, I'm like, and then we meet all these people in the world and we have friendships and romantic relationships with people who grew who grew up probably differently from us. And now we're having to integrate this relationship in this world. And how do we do it? Because they have their trauma. I have my trauma. We all have different parts of it, of us. And it's just so complex in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, that was more of a comment. Uh, so good. So- yeah. yeah. To just jump on top of that. That's, that's so well put. And then the question that immediately comes to my mind after that is like, okay, well, what do we do with all these traumatic parts and other people? <laughs> like, like, what do we do? Like, you know, because everyone seems to be kind of acting out of these spaces of hurt and frustration and coping and soothing. And it's like, what do we do? And, and, and I think kind of the, the 10,000 feet up version of that answer is something like finding the positive intent in your own coping mechanisms and in your own parts that are trying to soothe and actually coming to a place of some compassion for those parts and listening to the stories that they hold. And that's how you build trust with those parts for them to be able to entrust the task of managing all those emotions back to you. Um, and I know that's an abstract way to think about it, like, but, but I really do think that that maps on really cleanly to those internal processes. It's like, I have to believe that I can handle the depression in order for me to not drink. Like that, that's actually a fundamental part of it. It's like, Someone could say, oh, your drinking is ruining your family relationships. And then it's, it's like, well, yeah, duh. I'm like coded in shame and guilt for that. That's why I drink because I'm so guilty for that. Like, you know, so there's this cyclical nature for it. And so then the person has to genuinely internally believe, okay, the distressing emotions that are driving me to drink, I can handle that. I can hold that. I can hold the story and the complexity, the flashbacks, the guilt. I can resolve it. I, I, and that confidence comes from trust, from internal trust and trust is built on listening. And that's why we go back and review traumatic events of the past or those memories is because we have to listen to build the trust, to build the confidence, to hold the capacity <laughs> to, to just make a whole pathway back, um, to be able to hold all that, to be able to find healing, to integrate all those things. That's how, that's how it's all interconnected. And, and then when we think about other people, when we have that software in our own hearts for being able to hold capacity, move towards compassion in places that we feel frustrated, then we're so much able to do so much more able to do that with other people. And then when we're in the political conversations, when we do hear the critical comment from mom, it's less like, God, this is something that I need to be defensive of and protect it. This is a contaminant for me. I, and, and we don't respond to it with that disgust in the way we would a contaminant. 
we almost hold a grace and a compassion that's, you know, undergirded by an assertion and a confidence that, that I'm not going to let you walk all over me. That, that, that doesn't mean I'm a floor mat, that, but, but it doesn't sink down into my soul in the same way. And I can actually see you're responding out of your own stuff. And that actually gives me a little bit of empathy for where you're at and, and sobers me up on how to correspond with you. Um, yeah, that's how I think about it. I don't know what comes to your both, both of your minds when I'm exploring some of those things. I was just going to say that I'm very biased in the standpoint, but I feel like the only people who can do that are the ones who are actively working in therapy. Mm. And I've seen that I've seen the difference of people who are actively working on the things that they need. And, and, you know, even if it takes a year, two years, whatever, I've seen the change in some of my close friends of they finally got it, you know, after years mm-hmm. of working on it. And then the other people who are just, you know, talking, 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 um, that was one point. And the other point was just how I think the millennial generation, I mean, we are the ones that are breaking the cycle of calling out our parents too. At least I am. Um, I've talked about this on the podcast. Ryan shared her, you know, family background. I've shared mine. Um, I have a very good relationship with my family, but as I'm getting older, I'm really seeing the nuances of things that I didn't see before. And I don't want to label them as trauma, but I'm like, I don't really like that. I don't like that. Or I see my mother coming through um, and I've been able to set some boundaries, but I feel like it's because of these types of conversations like the one we're having and the push for mental health as to why that's even a possibility. Yeah. Oh, I resonate so strongly with that. So we'll put. Yeah. I was actually going to comment too on um, what you were saying about seeing our parents reactions that are triggering us and trying to understand their core instead of the hurt that it's causing, which is my current where I'm at in therapy right now is trying not to let those, those triggers sink so deeply that I become a child again and I'm rooted in trauma reaction. Um, So one of our next questions is really like how to navigate your own life when you come from a family that never um, addressed their own mental health and never really addressed your mental health as their child. Mm. That's a great question. Well, I mean, and even as you were reflecting just then, the, the first thing that came to mind is like, when those triggers do happen, when we see those protective parts of our parents kind of rising up and the criticism, the the moments where they kind of miss the mark and and you really would have liked them to be there for you and actually like encourage you in a moment where you feel kind of proud of yourself and and they just kind of overlook it or they miss it again. Um, they they still hold you to old dreams and aspirations that you feel like are more their dreams for you than were ever your dreams for you, whatever it is. And when you notice that hurt on a really, really deep level, like you said, it's triggering. What that tells me is that there's a part of your heart that needs healing and is still dependent on mom or dad to fix that. There's still a part of you that's waiting for your father's approval and your mom's nurture, your dad's nurture, your mom's approval, whatever. It's like, there's still a part of you that's, that's waiting for that. And then my question therapeutically is like, is there a space where you could go in and give that childhood part of you what it needs? And that is such an abstract 
thing and that but there's there's kind of this whole world that's kind of colloquially t- called like inner child work or kind of the reparenting you know psychological movement and and what that is is when i see that nervousness when i see that abandonment pop up in me i run towards that with the nurture that i felt like i didn't get with the acceptance with the insight that i feel like my parents didn't have because oftentimes it's not even something malicious like from our parents that is undergirding that sometimes we like some of us listening had parents who were really trying their best and really trying to like come near us, but they just can't read minds. And so there was just situations that really affected us in a terrible way. And they should have been there to help, but they didn't know, you know, like, and who could blame them, you know? So there's some situations that map onto that. It's like, okay, but you know, you know, the complexity of what you needed in that moment. Can you go back and just offer just a little bit of acceptance or safety or um, nurture in those moments for you? And then what you notice is when that becomes more of a habit, and that work is done personally. Then when you're talking to mom and mom's criticizing everything that your house isn't, you know, clean and walking through like, oh, you know, like you still haven't fixed that doorknob or whatever. Instead of that bringing up the childhood part of you that still feels never good enough for mom, that childhood part of you feels good enough, you know, because they received the nurture from, you know, the deepest part of you. And, and so then you, that's what I mean when I say it sobers you up because then you can see mom just, yeah, okay, yeah, she really sees those details and those details are important to her. And ah, yeah, that's mom. And it's almost like, it's not like it's a pleasant thing, but it doesn't, it doesn't uh, send you spinning into a tailspin of resentment and frustration. Cause that's what happens. It gets distracting. It's all we can think about. And then we're like almost looking for all the rest of the negative comments she's going to make for the rest of the night. And we're like building a case in our minds for how, rah, how terrible she's being or whatever. It's like, you can be free from that whole cycle um, if you take on the role that those protective, resentful parts have been playing this whole time. And you take on the responsibility of moving towards healing for yourself. And it's in that sober place that you can start to make wise, thoughtful boundaries with mom or dad in a way that allows you to have some contact with them. And not every circumstance you're going to be able to have warm contact with mom or dad. I mean, some people... It's there's, there's no contact and that's the best thing. But for most of us, we really want, we at least want that. We want some sort of contact with mom or dad and navigating how to have that um, is best done in a place where you've done that self-work on your own. So that's, yeah, that's how I approach that. This is good stuff. So listeners, this is really good information and so much of what you just said, I feel like answered some of our other questions, <laughs> but I think I want to isolate a couple of them so the listeners have a little bit more concrete information. Sure. So if our parents weren't good at showing up emotionally for us, what are some ways to work on healing this unmet need? Yeah, well, so that's a great question. I, I have a, a trauma workshop called a free mind where I kind of delve into this almost step by step. And and what I break, I can give you a little snippet of it, but i essentially what I do is we go on a journey of understanding the experience that's undergirding maybe that emotion. And so, for example, mom being critical, walking around your house of your doorknob not being fixed or something. And to really have some exploration and some curiosity about like, okay, what is, what is the anger undergirding that? Because I'm feeling a lot more anger than I should be feeling over a doorknob. Like, so there's, there's obviously something underneath of that. And then, so maybe I kind of give myself permission to 
to let the memories flood in maybe like in a journaling exercise or something of the various times when I felt like I was trying to put together the details, but yet I wasn't good enough for mom. And that can feel like an overwhelming exercise. So that needs to be handled in a bit of a delicate way. And that's why doing that in therapy is really great. Doing it in a structured journaling exercise is going to be better than just maybe um, than than other methods. Those are the ones that I like. And so really kind of let yourself go there for a moment. And then oftentimes those experiences, they impose two things. They impose a story about who we are and a story about the world around us. And I, I'm not, I'm not trained in EMDR, but this is kind of the, the, like the kind of one of the foundational pillars of EMDR It's like, it's not just that traumatic events are, are negative to go through. And then they affect us in just this very vaguely negative way. It's that they impose beliefs. They impose a story about who we are and, and the world around us. And so you got to ask the question, like, what belief came out of this experience for me back then? Because back then, when you were like seven or eight, it's not like you had all the context to be able to understand all the layers that were happening. So oftentimes, it's like the belief of, I'm just not good enough. Um, I just don't deserve praise. I don't deserve to be proud of. There's nothing in me that's worth being proud of. You know, and that, that, that those events those labels can look like anything. So it's identifying the label that you wore from that experience. And then it's listening to the stories underneath that label of that earlier part of you, right? That's that listening stage I was talking about. And the route that I go, and then I I break this down in the workshop, how to do this is, is um, I kind of almost go union a little bit. And, And what Jung would say is like, every point of shame has a corresponding aspiration and there's a dream embedded in every piece of shame. So for example, the, the internal belief, I don't deserve to be proud of, has a dream embedded in that. The reason that affects you negatively is because you want to be worth being proud of. Does that make sense? Like it wouldn't bother you unless that was your dream. Like if you didn't care one way or the other, if your mom was proud of you, then it wouldn't bother you. But yeah. the fact that it truly does bother you says that you actually have a dream of being the kind of kid that mom could look at and be like, oh, I'm so proud of you. You're just amazing. You're doing such an incredible job. Man, I look at you and I just approve. That's our dream. And so then the question is, is how do you connect to that dream and bringing that younger part of you into a sophisticated, imaginative collaboration and be like, let's find out what makes you proud of you. What are the values underneath that animate who you are? Because maybe for you, it's really important to be generous, kind, accepting, hardworking. Uh, maybe you're a creative person. You want to make something in the world that's beautiful and artful. Maybe you're a very conscientious person. You want to be organized. You want to create a world that's safe for people. What are your values? And then let's explore in detail all along the way all the dynamic aspects of who you are that have connected to that point of value. And you have to rewrite the script. You have to rewrite the story. That's how you do it. Is you rewrite the story of what it looks like to connect to those deep dreams and those values. It's getting outside of just that unidimensional question of how do I get mom's approval? It's, it's asking the question, what do you want mom's approval of? Yeah. What do you wish you would approve of in you? And it's getting at those things. You know, it's uh, so that's one example. It's 
it can obviously be very, be very sophisticated and take different side trails, but yeah, that's, that's kind of a snapshot of how I'd approach it. Yeah. Amazingly said. And like, I think there's this piece of it that's sad and empowering at the same time, like sad to the point where you have to realize that you have to be the one to self-validate and self-fulfill some of those unmet needs, but also empowering because you can get that need met. You can feel what you want to feel and reach that sort of passion and dream that you really have within you Mm -hmm. as a child. It just has to be in a way that you weren't necessarily expecting it to be. Um, and yeah, most was... people are pretty suspicious of that. <laughs> most people <laughs> yeah. don't believe me. Like, uh-huh. and, and the way my proof, quote unquote, uh, for that it can be that way is you actually have a part of you that's that's very sober and being able to see this for other people. So, for example, like your younger sister, like you're proud of your younger sister in ways that your mom wasn't proud of her. Or, you know, for example, like you can see, oh, it wasn't your younger sister's fault that the divorce happened. And for that's clear as day to you that it's not your sister's fault, but for some reason you can't let that happen for you. And I'm like, okay. So then my question is, is like the part of you that holds the wisdom and insight for your sister. What if we directed that wisdom and insight towards the part of yourself? Because like, it's right there. Like you don't even need it. You don't need me to teach it to you. You don't need some, some other wise therapist to like give you all the baby steps. It's like, you actually have the wisdom in you. It's just letting the different parts of you talk to each other and share that. It's so ironic that you bring that up because a lot of the healing I've experienced within the last couple of years has been with my brother and in having conversations back and forth with each other in depth about our experiences through childhood and kind of admitting to each other, like how we felt, how we experienced the other, the other person in the family. Um, And that's been like one of the most healing processes for me going through kind of this trauma journey of my own family. So ironic that you bring that up. And, you know, for those of you that do have siblings and you are able to connect with them, you know, or connect to your, what, what Matthias is saying about your experiences of them, I think can be really beautiful and helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that too. It's, um, yeah, it's not everyone has those siblings to get to relive the past and, and to get to kind of say like, did you experience this? Was it like this for you? So it's, it's hard when that's not there, but man, it is a gift when you do have the siblings that you have good standing relationships with to do that with. That's, that's really warm. It's a, it's a luxury, not a necessity. Like you can, of course, have that healing without a relationship like that, but, but man, I'm thankful for it when it is there. Yeah. My brother and I currently like the last couple of weeks were like, are mom and dad being weird? Yeah, they are. Like <laughs> we went back and forth and we're very in, in sync. I mean, we're very close, but we're very in sync with each other. I'm like, okay, so it's not just me yeah. who's feeling this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but another point that you mentioned before, just about more of like the unmet needs is I also just thought about self-worth too, mm. which is great to work on in therapy. Shout out to therapy. But believing that you can get those unmet needs as well, because there's, you know, that uh, logical side of you, but the logical and the emotional side need to come together and say, you know, I am worth it to Mm. move past whatever is holding me back, whatever trauma I have as well. So I always think about just like the self-esteem, self-worth part of a person too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I think about that too. It's, it's a huge journey to earn that trust of the self. And 
there's lots of different layers to peel back. I like how you you said almost kind of like pairing some of that that logical reasonableness and and bringing that into like a sophisticated place with all the other dimensions of you. I I, I love that. There's a quote from uh, G.K. Chesterton where he talks about poetry and and it's it's adjacent to this that poetry can float on an infinite sea, but that reason tries to cross the infinite sea therein, making it finite. And um, it's the poet who tries to stick his head into the heavens and expand himself within it. It's the logician who tries to fit the heavens into his head. And there's this mystical process kind of within therapy, or I think this is present also within different religious practices that I think functionally do the same kind of thing, where moving into the process of healing from trauma moving into the process of understanding the past experiences that formed us, our relationships with our parents. It's that we need every part of us kind of brought together at the table in communication with each other to really round out who we are in reference to those experiences. And we need the logical, reasonable, trying to break down, you know, all the little pieces and abstract everything and look for the systems and look for the patterns. We need the part of us who's analytical and cerebral and then we also need the part of us who just felt it all and just feels it in the body. And, um, and then we need the part of us who has that wise, sober mind, kind of like what we were talking about, to be able to stand outside of the situation and see it. And then we also need the part of us that was just young and, and still wants a warm connection with mom and dad and almost has this childlike you know, longing for that to still be there. Yeah, all of it's good. None of it needs to go away. We could talk about this forever. Like really, <laughs> we in the future, we probably would love to do, no, we probably, we would love to do a part two. I'm speaking for both of us. I, we just have that, you know, we're looking at each other. I'm like, yeah, because otherwise this would be a three hour long episode. So, um, which I don't mind. I just think the listeners would be like, okay, this is pretty yeah. long. Uh, so, you know, um, we would love to end on more of a, po- you know, like a positive note of just mm-hmm. what are some must do's for self-care when it comes to trauma, mental health, some that, you know, we didn't discuss already. We obviously know therapy would be great. So that one's already on the table, but what are some other like tangible self-care ideas for people who are struggling or who are in this phase right now? I love it. How about we all go, go around and give three? Because I'm sure that you two have great recommendations as well. Is that all right? Yeah, right. Oh my gosh. On the spot. <laughs> you got to think of stuff. You got to think of Lauren. Yep. Yes. Yep. Ryan, yes, what would you does. say? What are your three? <laughs> um, mine is animals. If you're an animal person, spending time with my dog, like it just letting go of whatever else is going on and being present with her is a big one. Um, Second is just being in nature, walking, allowing yourself to really like listen and just see. And third is journaling. It's a big one for me, writing in my phone app, wherever I can, just jotting down thoughts. Crazily doesn't have to make sense as long as it's coming out of my brain. Mm, Love those. I'll use three that help me. So I'll just speak from my perspective. Uh, Number one would be music. I sometimes when I'm really in my feels and I'm struggling, I will lay on the couch and put my AirPods in and just listen to music. I actually recommend to a lot of my clients to make mood playlists based off their mood, like songs to cry to, songs to relax to. And 
I have those as well. And it's really useful. And I love, I love listening to music. So that would be one. Uh, another one. I'm actually, I know this, they've, they've said that this is, uh, could, could be, you know, a symptom of anxiety is rewatching comfort shows on TV. Oh, that's something that's no, that, really, we don't have to pathologize watching. We don't have, we don't have to, <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there because I that's fine. heard, I heard, uh, I heard this from someone that like, if you have trouble, you know, uh, starting new shows and you always rewatch oh, the no. same shows, you might have anxiety. No. And I'm like, don't yeah, pay well, attention to that. That's just a viral TikTok meant to freak you out. You're fine. <laughs> but I do have anxiety. I, so it might be right. <laughs> so, I mean, and I'm developing anxiety over the course of the pandemic. So, um, but honestly, I love, I love just rewatching shows that make me feel good. Um, mm-hmm. Especially gets me out of my head and some form of escapism. And then the last would be listening to what my body needs in the moment. So if that's a nap or a walk or hanging out with a friend, whatever it needs in that moment. Mm, that's so good. You guys took the good ones. Those are great. What about um, you? First thing that came, came to mind for me was just take a vitamin D supplement. Um, <laughs> like that's just good. You probably just, probably just need some vitamin D. Um, that, that'd be good. That's good self-care. Uh, second one, get some movement in your body that feels like you shine brighter after it. And so that can be something like exercise or going on a run if that feels good, but, but, uh, body work, not for the sake of the body, my body's not good enough right now and it needs to be better, but body work, like I feel good. And I want to, I want the light of whatever's happened in my body to shine brighter in it. And cause I, cause I like what's already there. Does that make sense? So it's like body movement. That's that's coded in all the good feels. So that could be dancing. That can be something like yoga. That could be exercise, um, stretching, just like enjoying being in your body in, in even small ways, getting a, a massage, you know, something like that. So that's, that's one, uh, movement, vitamin D one that I'm kind of leaning into recently is, um, enjoying kind of the small pieces of very mundane regular routine things so something like cooking like enjoying instead of seeing that as like oh i gotta think of something to cook for dinner tonight taking some enjoyment and finding a recipe that looks interesting and like taking a little bit of pride and getting all the ingredients put together and having intentionality with what ingredients are going in and the flavors that i'm building like there's something psychologically grounding about slowing down in the mundane things um, yard work, um, <laughs> uh, cleaning your home, but in a, in a way that organizes it and makes it feel more peaceful, not in a, I have to buy new decorative items to impress people I don't like, or like a, you know, oh, this is a chore that I just need to get done today. But like a taking a little bit of personal excitement and pride and I'm going to beautify the bathroom in a way that just makes it really exciting to walk into in the morning, like first thing. And just like, ah, this feels relaxing. My towel is set up right there and it's folded and it's clean and feels good. So like there's these very human normal routines that we often think are just like checklists on a chore list. But if you could slow down and almost feel every piece of it as you're, or taste every piece of it as you're cooking it, whatever, that really does recenter you. Um, so much of your neurobiology was formed out of so many mundane things It yeah. evolved out of just the simple acts of cooking and preparing and gathering. 
and putting yeah. things in their place. So that's something to lean into. Yeah. I like those. I try to do those too. I remember my therapist that I mm, didn't end up liking those therapists too much. We <laughs> only had two sessions, but her first thing she told me to do was that I needed to mindfully wash the dishes. Mm-hmm. And um, I was, I was pissed. I was like, no, it's not happening. I tried. <laughs> right. and I was I'm like, not rebooking with you. <laughs> I can't do this, but um, no, I completely agree. Especially the movement, like taking the productivity out of things that we do every day and yeah, trying to yeah. find the small, beautiful moments in them yeah. is just, once you master that, like it really feels great. Not that you're going to be good at it all the time, but completely agree. It's a good coping, coping strategy, self-care strategy. Yeah. I love that. That's a good word to describe to taking the productivity out of it. That feels right. All right. So this is a question we talk about. You're going to laugh. Maybe you won't laugh. I, I'm assuming you're going to laugh. We ask all of our guests this because Lauren and I are both astrology nerds. So okay. one of our final questions besides you, you know, shouting out your social media is what is your astrology sign? I have no idea. No <laughs> idea. what it is. You, you tell me I was born right. in April, April okay. 27th. What does that mean? Okay. Taurus. Taurus. Yeah. Taurus. Okay. What are the implications Good of ball. me being a Taurus? I have no idea. <laughs> um, well, go ahead. Yeah, Laura. I was just gonna say you're an Earth sign. I'm a Capricorn. We're both Earth signs. You're very grounding. If I could oh. sense that, um, it's funny. Ryan and I were both like thinking you were an Earth sign, uh, <laughs> so it, it checks out. But basically, just very grounding. Um, Ryan, you can elaborate. Tor- Torians are very like homebound people. They really like their home environment to feel comforting, which so when you're talking about the towels mm-hmm. and the bathroom, like it's all very Torian energy. Yeah. They're also like, they always have their path in mind, but nobody's going to force them to go quickly about it. Like they have that path ready to go. And they're like, nope, I'm going to, there's no, the Torians are cows. So I always think of a cow yeah. like walking really slowly. Amazing. That's, that's insightful. That's cool. Well, that feels good. That, that, that's something I want to be. Yeah, I would love to be someone who has a good pace and is restful and grounding. So that feels yeah, good. It's a good Thank sign. You. All my best, a lot of my best friends are Tauruses. So awesome. I'm an Aries. I'm a, I'm a fire sign. Okay. Yeah, burn, burn the city down, trying to get stuff done kind of. A <laughs> <laughs> all right. So two last things. First of all, what's the best piece of advice you've learned as a therapist that you don't mind sharing? Oh, the best? Uh as a therapist, like as a practitioner, or as a therapist, like this is good life advice that just anybody could benefit from. What do you mean? Whatever you want it to mean. Oh, oh okay. 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 It, um, it's an open-ended question. <laughs> Let's see. Best advice. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I started the podcast talking about Steve Hayes, that, that really, that fundamental of the thing that hurts is connected to the thing that matters is, is, is no joke. Something that really animates almost everything that I do. It's, it's maybe it's really close to the core of who I am. That's why it's, I guess my tagline. Um, so if I were to summarize like the best piece of advice, maybe therapeutically or otherwise it's, it's yeah. Open yourself up curiously to the things that hurt because there's something that matters in there and something enriching. And if you cut it out and just block it off, you're missing out on a piece of you. There's a piece of you in there that you need. There's energy in there that you need to, in order to move towards everything else and to enrich everything else. You can't, it's not expendable. Um, so pay attention. And it's not, I don't know. Yeah, I could elaborate. I, I could go into a whole nother monologue, but, but I won't. That, that's, that's, that's the short version. That's, that's, that's what I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We love uh, that. 
I don't know. There's just so much that I'm going to take away from this episode. And I, you know, I know that our listeners will as well. And before we say goodbye, what are your social media handles, anything else that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah. Well, um, so social media handles are Matthias J. Barker. It's M-A-T-T-H-I-A-S. And then J Barker with the B, just just how it sounds. Uh, Matthias G. Barker, so that's Instagram and TikTok and all the places. But uh, something interesting, I'm just releasing a new trauma uh, uh, workshop. It's called A Healing Journey. So that's in the link of any of my bios on any of my social channels. So kind of diving into the three fundamentals of healing from trauma. So if any of the trauma work stuff that we talked about today sounds interesting, I, I have a whole series of trauma workshops where I dive into all that good stuff. So um, yeah, if anyone is curious, about me and what I'm doing. That's, that's a good little taste. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely make sure you follow Matthias on Instagram and TikTok. He is a genius at making things accessible and easy to understand. And he's got a total like aesthetic vibe going on. He's like mastered (laughs) the the video part of it as well. Um, We loved having you on and having this conversation. We know it's a tough conversation, but you make it so easy to understand and connect with. So we really appreciate you being here with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. What an honor. So, so great to get to talk to the both of you. Just loved it. Yes. And Thank we will you. hopefully have you back as well um, another time. Oh, would love to. Yeah, absolutely. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And if you feel called to rate and review and share with the people in your life, you think would like us too. For more info on this episode, check out the show notes. And as always, you can find us on Instagram at dopeshttherapypod and via email at dopeshttherapypod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and check back soon for more episodes.